monumental sports and entertainment along with PressBox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at StanTheFan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And a very pleasant good morning to each and every one of you on this October 21st, Saturday in the year 2017, just to be able to set your mind at ease that you didn't fall asleep for a year or go back in time a year. Stan the Fan and Bonza Tufa. Craig Heist will be here whenever Craig Heist can get here. It's Craig uh, being Craig. For... For someone who runs in so few marathons, <laughs> Craig Heist seems to run into every manner of marathon imaginable. And yet, I never run into a single marathon when I drive up here. No, of course, it's probably because of how fast you're driving, uh. but you elude them. <laughs> but anyway, Craig will be here uh, momentarily on the program. Uh, our guest list today includes at 1020, the Baltimore Sun's very fine beat writer of all things Orioles, Ed Encina. 10.45, ditto for the Washington Nationals and the Washington Times, as we'll have Todd Debus on uh, to talk, or Dibus, uh, Todd Dibus uh, will be on to talk about... Good thing Craig's not here to hear that. Well, no, I think he would have corrected me from Debus <laughs> to Dibus. I used to know a girl named Debus. So anyway, Todd Dibus will join us, and uh, Todd will talk about all things Nationals and what came up. Yesterday, uh, Bonza, you you admitted immediately when it happened yesterday that I called it. It was very shocking. When honestly, it wasn't shocking to me for a, a a weird organization. Weird is right, and I didn't realize when was the last time the Nationals had a manager go over three years. They didn't. Uh, no, they haven't in their entire since they came to Washington. Right. You what had, have they had? They had Frank Robinson, Frank Robinson went two. Yeah, and he had a couple years beforehand as well when right. they were in Montreal. Who replaced Frank? Was that Riggleman? I think it was Riggleman. Then Dave Davey Johnson, Johnson. Then Matt then, Williams. Yep. And then now Dusty Baker. And so Davey Johnson was the longest at three years. Okay. Did he do full three years or like he replaced? I think he did about two and a half. A quarter seasons or two and a half seasons. I, I think he replaced Riggleman in season and then did two more years. I could be wrong. Yeah. He could have done three years. But anyway, the point is well taken. Um, you know, I think, you know, while it's nice that Mike Rizzo is firmly ensconced as general manager, uh, I, I would beg to differ with him. I would think that maybe four or five years of winning a lot of regular season games and not making it past, you know, uh, further in the playoffs would be an indictment on a manager. I think two years, um, I think they are really barking up the wrong tree here and think that um, I, th I don't think they'll get a manager as good as Dusty Baker. And I think that they have some players today scratching their heads going, what? I, I don't understand that. Players like Bryce Harper, Ryan Zimmerman, uh, Daniel, Daniel Murphy, Murphy saying, wait a minute, Dusty Baker's our guy. I mean, one that's the big thing with me that really worries me. 
can you really find another manager with the caliber like Dusty Baker? I mean, I mean, you can, you can find, you it's can. It's not an easy search. You can find somebody that's on his way to being a good manager, but there aren't, uh, you, they're not hanging on trees. Guys like Dusty Baker and the resume he has and the cachet he has in a clubhouse. So most likely, you're talking about culture of the dug of, of the clubhouse starting all over again mm-hmm. with somebody, whether it's a Brad Ausmus whether it's an Alex Cora, whether it's Joe McEwing, all the other names we're hearing. Uh, you know who we left out? We left out Manny Acta. Uh, Manny, Manny Acta, Acta replaced Davey Johnson, I right. think. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Then Matt Williams, and then so we left out two years of Manny Acta. The thing is, how can you create a consistent flow for a team if you keep changing managers every two to three years. Right. There's no consistency. It's just two years, start over, two years, start over, and it always has the same result. If Dusty Baker could have stayed a couple more years, if you renew his contract and he helps develop the relationships between the players and the coaches, who knows what could happen. But And it's not like it were two bad years. I mean... Well, 192 wins in two seasons. That's what Mike Rizzo alluded to yesterday, saying winning a lot of regular season games and winning your division isn't isn't enough for the learners. Um, I maintain that if this were a better relationship, and by that I mean that Dusty hadn't gone public around the All-Star break with his discontent at not being under contract beyond this year, if they had paid him more of a going rate, you know, look, any job in life, if we're paying you $2.50 an hour and you think you're worth $6 an hour and we're paying you two fifty just because, well, where are you going to get another job? Mm-hmm. That's not going to make you feel very worthwhile, you know. Uh, and I think Dusty felt disrespected, and at the end of the day, I think there was enough of questioning from the learners whether he was really the right guy that led them. I don't think it got, and I, I take Mike Rizzo at his word, I don't think it ever got to a discussion of money around this time. I think they just made a unilateral decision to cut bait with Dusty Baker. From what I saw, there was no negotiation at all, and it had nothing to do with negotiations. It was just a matter of whether you fire him or not, and yep. that's what happened. Well, anyway, Dusty Baker is out. I guess technically he's not fired because his contract had ended. He's just not retained. It's a slight difference. The issue for Dusty is at 68 years old, will he get another opportunity and where might that opportunity come from? I have floated for the past two or three weeks, as you know, a little bit of a scenario that that if if I'm Dave Dombrowski up in Boston – and I've, I've got a team that is, we think, ready to win and is quote-unquote paid to win with a payroll of uh, over $190 million, am I comfortable give, turning the keys to that over to a first-time major league manager like the favorite Alex Cora, or do I say at the last second, oh, let's pump the, let's pump the brakes on that, Dusty Baker is available. Boston, they make a big pretense of of the, uh, the the wanting to tear down the Yawkey Way because of supposed, you know, 
racist, mm-hmm. um, racist bent of Tom Yawkey's organization. They want to change Yawkey way to Big Poppy way. Uh, well, it would be pretty interesting. Uh, the, the Red Sox uh, hierarchy from John Henry to uh, Sam Kennedy, their president, to Dave Dombrowski said that hate speech isn't going to be tolerated at Fenway Park. That's not us. Yet the club has never had an African-American manager. Mm-hmm. Might they say, you know what, let's kill a couple birds with one stone here and bring in a Brad Ausmus or, or a Jason Veritek for two years under Dusty Baker and say, Dusty, we want you. We're making it very clear we're going to pay you top dollar, $3.5 million a year for two years. But, but at the end of the two years, we want to bring in a younger guy to move this forward. I think it would be a great way for Dusty Baker to go out on top. I'll throw one other possibility, though. Mm-hmm. If I'm also the Red Sox and I do hire Alex Cora, might I want to hire Dusty Baker as his bench coach? Just hmm. something to think about, you know? I don't think Dusty really just wants to go back to his vineyard, if it knock on wood, if it still exists out there in Northern California. I don't think he's ready to sit in a rocking chair. I think he's got a lot of baseball left in him. And to me, it should be in a dugout or on television because I think he's very good on television. And that Red Sox team is a team with a bright future, and I feel like Dusty Baker would love to work with the players over there, such as Benintendi or Mookie Betts or Bogart, Sale, whoever it may be. Or might, now, he be, might he be an interesting guy to replace uh, Chili Davis as hitting coach there? Mm-hmm. So I think he's going to have a couple. I don't think he's a fit in Philadelphia. Uh, I don't or think, New York. I don't think he and Andy McPhail got along swimmingly at the end, I think. And I don't think he's the right fit for the New York Mets. Had the Atlanta Braves decided to let go of Brian Snitzer, I think, or Snitker, I think he could have been a good fit there. I think he could be an interesting fit in Atlanta as a um, with all the problems they have now. He could be an interesting fit just to be there, be a bench coach, and so on and so forth. Are the Tigers with on the manager? Because Tigers Austin's have hired there. the yeah. Tiger, Tigers hired Ron Gardenhire. Oh, okay, year. okay. They've they've hired him for three years. So the teams now without a manager are the Washington Nationals. The Boston Red Sox, although by all accounts Alex Cora could be named manager on Monday if the Houston Astros are eliminated tonight. We'll get to that in just a moment. The Philadelphia Phillies and the New York Mets. So there's still four teams without a manager, but the, but three of them or two of them seem to be leaning toward new new kind of new bred uh, managers. So the guy to, to me to look out for is the guy let go by the um, by the Miami Marlins a couple years ago is Mike Redman. I mm-hmm. think Mike Redman is on his way. I think I think the um, the uh, ownership of here's a better chair, Mr. Heist. Who, who's uh, who's this joining us now? It's, uh, you know, there, there's running in a marathon and there's running into marathons. And Craig Heist who I don't think has ever run into a marathon that he's ever liked before, <laughs> certainly <laughs> runs into them. Look at this. Why, why is everything... Kyle and Glenn have everything <laughs> under under ropes here. 
It, it's not that. I have no clue. Okay. Anyway, Craig Heist is going to join us in just a second as soon as he gets <laughs> unraveled. All right. Stan, let me ask you a question, yeah. though, and Craig can chime in. We talked about Dusty Baker. Is this the best 10, 12 minutes? Of no, yeah, yeah, this is. No question about it. <laughs> Where would John Farrell go, do you think? That's an, that's an interesting question. I don't see him up for the Phillies job. I don't see him up for the um, – I don't see him up for the job in New York either. Um, that's it. I'll throw that to Craig Heisen. It's something we can talk to Todd Dibus. It's Dibus, right? Yes, it is. I pronounced it Dibus the first time and immediately caught myself yes, exactly. remembering what you said. Would John Farrell be an interesting candidate in Washington? No. I, I You know, they could go that way, but, I mean, I having covered him – and watch the whole routine for several years with the Red Sox. I don't see him as a fit there. I really don't. I'll tell you who I see as a fit there. I think this Mike Redman is going to get one of these jobs. And I think the Phillies may try and hire him. But I think the Nationals, he would probably rather manage the, the Nationals. Oh, I'm sure he would because it's, an, it's a team that's already built to win. Uh, although, but, as, but although, as, although, wait a minute, let me let me say, you just walked in here. Yeah. We get to talk. <laughs> All right. No, no. Although we mentioned, what's the longest tenure of a Washington Nationals? Usually manager? about two years. Right. <laughs> right. They're going the same route as the Washington Redskins, you know, with turnover as their manager or their head coach. Right. But in this particular instance, you know, and I look at what happened and and. I just think it's a ridiculous move on the Nationals' part. I really part. do, too. Mm-hmm. And I, you know I called it, Yeah, I could well, you smell did. It. You I did. Could. But there's, you know, but you're looking at for a logical reason for him to be fired, and there yeah. really is no logical reason for you him know, to be winning fired. Winning a lot of games in the regular season and winning two divisions isn't enough, is isn't not, a great, well, re- is not a great reason. In his first two years managing the team. Right. I was on a couple shows yesterday, and I said, what do you got to do to keep a job anymore? <laughs> right. Seriously. Show up on time might, I get, might well, be you one know, of that those might things. Be. Do, you, yeah. do you think the uh, issue with Strasburg uh, and the uh, miscommunication the press conference had anything to do with no, that? No, 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 okay. no, no. I think this is just That's purely, as much a team thing as it was a Dusty thing. I just think this is purely sort of inexperienced sports owners that think they know better than the baseball people. Because you and I both know – that Mike Rizzo, in his heart of hearts, would want Dusty Baker back as his manager. I, I think, and this came from up above. Yeah. I, there's no question. Yeah, this and, wasn't and, Rizzo's no, but, and, and nor should Mike Rizzo fall on the sword to to make to prove a but point. But there are a couple of things in play here too. One, Rizzo's contract is up after 18, so next year. Didn't he Bryce just Har- have his Bryce contract? Harper. Wasn't it yeah, just it was a couple up years last ago? T- yeah. Okay. I well, thought Bryce it was last Harper. summer. Bryce okay, Harper is up after next 18, year. Right. Now, granted, they bought out the last year of arbitration at $21 million, so that was kind of a good faith type of thing from sure. the Nationals. Uh, but, again, I think the, those two issues play a role in this just from a pressure standpoint. And it's like Mike tried to paint it yesterday during the conference call. You know, we – winning the division isn't good enough anymore. Right. Well, you know what, though? And he's been in the game long enough to know. There are no guarantees, especially with a wild card and especially with the way the playoff format has been now for a few years. The whole idea is to get there. If you're you're part of the dance, you have a chance to win. Mm -hmm. And, And, you know, 
if I'm a fan of a baseball team or I'm the fan looking at management right now, I'm saying I want my team to get there right. and have that opportunity every year. Right. And for, I, I four, could four see, in the last six years, I, they've had that opportunity. I could see if it's five years in and Dusty Baker has mm-hmm. been, you know, like kind of right. like Marty Schottenheimer sure, in Cleveland. Sure, sure. You get a certain level of frustration. But I remind people in Cleveland, how's it gone since Marty Schottenheimer left? Exactly. In <laughs> and I, I said this yesterday. I just said, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Because you're, you're looking at two teams this year, the – uh, the uh, Indians win 22 straight coming down the stretch, 27 to 29. They've got a 2 nothing lead, and they can't win one out of three games to keep themselves in the tournament. Yep. You know, so I mean, and they've they got the best, arguably the best pitcher in baseball. And arguably pitches. the best manager in baseball. Yeah, so what are you going to do? Fire Terry Francona? I mean, you know, he got to the World Series last year and had a 3 1 lead and blew that. Right. So, I mean, what are you going to do? Fire Terry Francona? I don't get this. I really just don't get this. I don't get it either. But uh, we'll keep our eyes on him. We'll talk to Todd Dybus. Uh, hopefully Todd might have a couple names that he's hearing are speculated. My personal my personal choice for this job, I think he's at the right point. He's, he's, was, he's been out of baseball for a year. Then he, This year he was the bench coach with the Colorado Rockies. My personal choice would be Mike Redman. But more importantly than the fans. Well, there's one other personal choice of yeah. mine. Yeah. And this was a guy I thought should have had the job when Davey left and before they hired Matt Williams. And that's Randy, Randy Noor. Noor. Yep. Now, is he, was he's he on Dusty? In, he's he's still, in the organization. Well, no, he's still in the organization. He wasn't a part of the coaching staff. No, but, but he's, he's in the organization. He's still in the organization. Yeah, he might be a guy that they could turn to. No question about it. Um, what was my question? Now you um, – but, 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 but. Was it about the ALCS? No, it was not about the ALCS. But anyway, it'll come back to me. <laughs> you know, at my age, things happen like that. Um, at 11.05, Casey Willett is going to join us. My and, man. Yeah, I know he's your man, and uh, I've known Casey a long time as well from his times over at that other station and his times <laughs> over at WBAL. Uh, Casey will join us to talk about something he wrote. Did you reread it by I, any chance? I did not. Okay. I did not. But I you, heard you about know the whole story. Yeah, I know the whole story. You lived the whole story about why he decided to leave mm-hmm. what had to be for him kind of a dream job. You know. Well, yeah. You know. So anyway, Casey will join us from Tennessee uh, at eleven oh five, and then at eleven thirty five. It's kind of interesting. I went on MLBTradeRumors.com today, and the, the lead story was Theo Epstein discusses plans. You know, Cubs plans and strategy for the future. David Kaplan wrote a book that came out last October, November called The Plan, Theo Epstein, Joe Madden, and the audacious plan by the Cubs to win the World Series. Anyway, we'll talk to David Kaplan both about his book and about the where they go from here, the Cubs, which the fact that it's a disappointing season for them to get knocked out uh-huh. in the NLCS shows how far they've come. Well, you know, and it, they have come a long way, and I think they've got one of the best managers in the game regardless of how you think he might have handled things in the postseason, not just this year, but last year. Uh, but, uh, you know. I like Joe an awful Joe, lot. Joe's, I think Joe's shown, though, that he gets Joe's a little, pretty, j- pretty he gets smart, a little jittery, though, with his bullpen He does, but usage. then by the same token, one, though, one, but there's a reason why he's kind of jittery with that bullpen, I think. Can't too. trust them. Can't right. trust them. And it was obvious. Well, but he brought back an awful lot of the same players, and and I don't think you'll see – 
Justin Grimm there next year, and I don't think you'll see uh, – well, Edwards will probably stick with. Carl Edwards Jr., Pedro Strope. Right. uh, Who's the lefty? Montgomery, right? Montgomery and Dunsing. And and Dunsing, yeah. Yeah, and Rondon. And Rondon Rondon hasn't really – There's a lot of parts there that he just did not trust trying to get to Wade Davis. Why don't you introduce our first guest? Go ahead. Ed. Ed. Go ahead. All right. Joining us right now, he's a guy who does... He's Eddie, he's Eddie in the yard. He's Eddie in the yard, and he is in the yard. He's been covering Oriole baseball now. How many years has it been? Six? Yes, I just finished my sixth six season. All right. And it feels like it only started yesterday. Joining us right now <laughs> is the Baltimore Suns. Very fine beat writer. Covers all things Orioles. Ed Encina. Ed, it would be something if we had the same problems that the Cubs and the Nationals had, wouldn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. I, I think that, uh, you know, obviously I think we all know that, that this season was disappointing for the Orioles and that, you know, kind of uh, really got pretty ugly down the, down the stretch in September. And I, I think one of the big things that, that does is kind of really expose some of the, the big areas that this team needs to improve in. And, and there's there's definitely a few of those. So uh, I think it'll be a busy off season and definitely a different one than the ones that, that uh, you know, some of those other teams that, that maybe have some short stints in the postseason uh, are going to have. Ed, let me ask you the question, and and you haven't written it, nor have we at Press Box, and the club certainly doesn't really open itself up to this discussion that much. But what about the relationship between the owner, the general manager, and the manager? Has that sort of dysfunction, and I'll call it dysfunction, it's not your word, but has that finally seeped down and and is really part of the team's DNA now that they can't all get on the same page about things? Well, I think, you know, I, I think that maybe when you lose, just like anything else, mm-hmm. I think uh, some of that stuff does get a little bit more exposed. Now, you know, there's no secret that, that uh, you know, Dan and Buck in, in their current, you know, capacities, evaluate things in different ways, you know, and, and, and they should because they have different jobs. Now, in terms of being on the same page with things, like I do think there are times when I think it's, it's pretty obvious just from talking to them that they see things, you know, differently. Um, and, but, you know, in terms of we know how ownership uh, kind of navigates this circle and, you know, Brady Anderson is a key fixture within that realm too, in terms of you know what his job is and and, and his uh, you know who he kind of reports to, and then kind of being an intermediary between Buck and Dan, and and and, and at the same time you know running the uh, you know running the things that he runs in the organization, which is mainly the you know the uh, you know the, the fitness and the you know the nutrition and that that kind of stuff. But in terms of 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 the ownership, I think that you know I. I think it's it's pretty interesting right now. The, the one thing that we don't see right now has been any talk of what Buck and Dan's future is. Yeah, and I think that's really kind of the, the the big thing that kind of indicates like, well, where's this thing going? And you know, as currently stands, you know, both of those guys are going to go into 2018 as with kind of lame duck seasons. Now, Buck has always said, you know, this is my this is my last stop. I'm not going anywhere after this. This is where I want to stay. Now, whether he wants to stand a dugout or not, that's one thing. But, you know, I know that, you know, I think we all know that, 
you know, Peter Andros wasn't necessarily very happy when a few off-seasons ago when he had heard that, that Dan Duquette was in the mix for the Toronto, you know, Blue Jays presidency job. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see moving forward how committed ownership is to these two guys because, uh, you know, it's not something that is, uh, you know, it's really easy to navigate. And, you know, when you have this many issues with it, with a team and you try to build for, for the future, you're not just building for 2018, you're building for the long haul here. For these two guys to do that, it's, it's in your job, it's in your job description to do that, to, you know, not look at just one season, but to look beyond it. But, um, you know, if either one of these guys really kind of knows their future within the organization, I think that's pretty tough. So I think, if anything, that's kind of the big thing. But the, the friction between the two, I think it's, it's been there. I think it's been uh, a part of, you know, the dynamic of, of what they do. It's, for the most part, before this year, it's been successful, you know, and, you know, in terms of especially in comparison to what we saw before that partnership. So I think this year is maybe a little bit more magnified because of the losing, but um, I think it's—I don't think it's gotten any necessarily any worse this year. I think that it's—it's it's one of those things which is just—it's kind of a part of the uh, a part of the dynamic. The one thing you've always heard about Buck, though, is that if he were to accept another position mm-hmm. within the organization, meaning move up to the front office. Uh, just exactly how would that dynamic play out in the current structure, knowing that as long as anybody's known Buck, I think he, he would kind of want total autonomy in terms of the decisions and some of the players and things of that nature. And uh, I'm not so sure that that's going to happen with this, this, this club. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I've always, in terms of, of covering Buck and, and, and talking to him pretty regularly you know, during the season, you know, I've never really gotten a gauge of, of what his main, like whether that's on his list in terms of, of wanting, really, truly, truly wanting to be a general manager. And he's so, like you said, Craig, entrenched in every operation of the team and does want to be involved in every facet of, of what goes on with the team that there is a little bit of, a, of it that makes us all think, yeah, you know, he wants that part of it. But... But like you said, it, it, it would be a, a, a tough, tough situation. I think mean, it's a tough mix, one for him because now it's all on him. You know, I mean, when when, when he's a manager, you know, he can you know dabble in what he thinks should happen and in terms of everything else. But if you're a general manager, then that's your job. I mean, you're the one held accountable for those decisions, which is what Dan is. So. You know, I think, you know, there's two sides of it. One is, you know, yes, would, would he want complete autonomy and maybe a manager who's, you know, who's had, you know picked by him, who will listen to him and, and, and everything like that. And two, but there's the other side of it, which is, you know, whether he would be ready for the notion of being held accountable for all those decisions, you know, which is the one, which is the thing that, that, that Dan has that, that he doesn't, is, is that accountability that, you know, when you bring in guys, these are kind of guys on your on your watch, and he says this is a team that you're 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 building. You know, the the thing I mostly am concerned with with Buck Showalter being the guy upstairs is I don't think he has a clue as to how 
how difficult a task that is, mm-hmm. grabbing the owner's attention fully uh, and engaging him in a timely fashion. And I, I think that Dan, while uh, you can find faults with a lot of acquisitions Dan has made, um, but I would maintain that some of those are because he's been handed a basket of deplorables, to use Hillary Clinton's term. Like, in other words, I don't think Dan on his own said, boy, let me go out and just get Giovanni Gallardo and Ubaldo Jimenez and Wade Miley. I right. think that that's kind of the, the framework of what he has to work with financially. And I just don't think Buck understands what that guy in that position with Peter has to deal with, the waiting and the interminable delays in decisions. In layman's terms, his hands are tied quite a bit. Yeah, times. yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right. That, that's kind of the point I'm, I was trying to make there, uh, Stan, is, is just the notion that, you know, the, the, the job is different, and unless you're in that job, you don't, you know, yep. you don't understand the, the notion of, you know, all that stuff that you have to do in terms of, of going to ownership and, 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 and waiting for every little, you know, every little thing to be rubber stamped, you know, I mean, I know Buck talks about how, you know, his big victories are, you know, getting a, you know, new bullpen in uh, Sarasota, you know what I mean, a new bullpen mound in Sarasota, or a, you know, a, a resodded field down at the spring training complex, you know, those kind of victories, you know, and, and, and now those are not, you know, and even getting those things are easy things to do. So, when we're talking about millions and millions of dollars of trying to get a, you know, frontline starter, or trying to to get uh, you know a, 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 a non-base hitter who's a, a real on-base hitter, is who can really help you that way, and not just a, a rental or a platoon guy. Um, you know, yeah, that, that, that's tough because I mean we've seen. I mean we, I think it'll be really interesting to see what this team does in the free agency market in terms of starting pitching because I'm not convinced that because the way the Abaldo deal worked out, and because that's kind of the the, the mark of, of what this team has spent in starting pitching and the commitment they made in starting pitching, and they know that didn't work out, what they're going to do this offseason. You know, the way Dan talked about it in in, uh, in, in Tampa Bay in the last series of years, he was like, we're going to have to kind of compare a little bit more to 2012, where they kind of got a little bit more lightning in the bottle with, you know, they, they signed Wei Yin Chen, who was under the radar. No one knew how he was going to be. He, he ended up being a good under you know, under cost-friendly, uh, team-friendly signing. You know, they traded for Jason Hamill, who gave them some good time. You know, they only gave up Jeremy Guthrie for that. And in the second half of the year, they, they got, you know, Chris Tillman came on, Miguel Gonzalez still in the rotation. A lot of different things kind of happened to make them, you know, a competitive team. But in the beginning of the year, I looked back on that after he mentioned that, and, you know, that, that rotation on opening day had Tommy Hunter in it, and it had, you know, Jake Arrieta, who... At that point, you know, no one really knew, you know, what he was going to be because we we've gone through the the, the iterations of, of, of his time in Baltimore and, and, and what those were. We all know that, but um, you know, he has to. I mean, the, to just to, to address your point is Dan has to go into it a certain way, and, and that's the way, you know, whether the fans like it or not, and you know, it's kind of what what he, the hand he's dealt in terms of the way he can build a team. Does the We're way talking it, with Ed Encina, the Baltimore Sun, Eddie at the yard. Yes. The way the way I look at it, Twitter. this is probably the last year in my mind for both Buck and Dan. Would you agree with that? 
that's a tough one because, um, yeah, I mean, I, I could very well see that being the case. Um, I could see one of them being here and one of them not being here. I if, you, if, you had to, if you had to pick one, who do you think that would be? I don't know. I don't know. I would, I would, uh, I don't know. Yeah, every, I, I, I know you know, it's funny, Ed, everybody that you talk to thinks that Dan would be the one out and Buck right. would stay. Uh, right. I'm not 100% sure sold on that uh, yet at this point in time, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the natural thing to say because you know that, you know, I think that, you know, whether it's right or wrong, Buck's more connected to the renaissance, you know, of, of bringing this team back and being, making it competitive even though, you know, in 2012, that was when Dan's tenure started. So it's hard to really gauge, you know, which one to ownership has more value. Um, you know, uh, probably, you know, a year ago, I would probably think that it's hands down it'd be Buck. Because, like I said, I think that, you know, that whole Toronto thing kind of, you know, dropped Dan down in, in ownership's yeah. eyes. Right. But, and it happened it not, but, um, you know, I know this is the one thing I do know is that I don't think any one of these guys is going anywhere this year. Right. Because, you know, they're both under contract, and as we know, but from that Toronto situation, unless Peter doesn't want you anymore, he's going to hold you to your contract. So, um, you know, there's the manager, manager jobs out there, you know, that, that I don't know how many of them are really truly attracted to a guy like Buck, but, you know, I don't. he's not going anywhere. Um, and, you know, I don't think Dan's going anywhere either. So, um, after 2018, I think that's, that's a tough situation. I think the thing that compounds it, too, is the notion that you have to make so many personnel decisions, not just in the front office, not just in the manager's office, but, you know, with, with some of these players. And, you know, we can argue, you know, for discuss for hours about, you know, the Machado situation, but, you know, they've really got to figure out what they're going to do with a lot of other guys, too. And, um, you know, and, 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 you know, and also look to the future because as much as we talk about that 2018 class of Machado, Jones, uh, Britton, and, and Brock, not far behind that, you've got to make a decision on Johnson's scope. You've got to make a decision on a lot of other guys who are coming out. Kevin Goffman, you're going to have to start making decisions on. So, you know, as much as, as this team's tried to develop a core, um, you know, it's it very quickly, you know, it can, we can see a very, a very significant, you know, turnaround in terms of personnel, and that all starts, you know, next year. And in 2023, they've got to make a decision about the future on Chris Davis. Um, <laughs> that's a joke, folks. Hey, um, the, real quick, a real quick answer, because we got a couple more things we want to talk to you yeah. about. But do, are you buying into at all that the Phillies really would be interested in Buck Showalter? Where is that coming from? I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's that's a, a, a legitimate thing. I mean, I, right. I think you know, uh, I don't know where that comes from, but you know, it, it, the one thing about Buck is I don't think that he's in it for another uh, rebuild. You know, I think that I do believe that. I do believe that, that in terms of of what, yeah, and and, and part of that is, is just seeing the way how frustrated he got at the end of this. Season. You know, I mean, I think you know he was really frustrated by the sense that. You know, in his eyes, you know, this this turning 2017 around into, you know, competing in 2018 was going to be tough. And, you know, uh, I think that that's, that's one of the things that emphasizes that, that he's not, 
you know, he's not, he's not, he doesn't, he doesn't want any part of that. So, um, you know, the idea of, I mean, I know there's the connections there with Andy and, and Matt Clintack and, and Ned Rice, a lot of guys who he knows and mm-hmm. has a lot of respect for. Um, you know, you say the same case in Atlanta. He has a really good relationship with, with John Hart um, out there. But, you know, I, I just don't think that he, he, uh, you know, he wants to be any, any part of, of a massive, massive rebuild that's going to take a few years to, to really still, you know, be in the mix there. All right, let's let's uh, play devil's advocate here, if you will. Mm-hmm. I I say that they're obviously going to look for pitching in the off season, but the quality of a starter or two that they can bring in here, I'm not so sure is really out there, and there will mm-hmm. be other teams competing. And then you look at over the you know the stretch of three playoff appearances in five years. Is it fair to say, in your mind, that a lot of that success was done with kind of smoke and mirrors to a large degree? Right. Because they've always had pitch, even in the years they won and made the playoffs, they've always had pitching issues. Right. So, so yeah, I think to get this fixed, it's mm-hmm. it's going to take and, a little bit of you know. And we've got about resolve. We got a minute and a half. Yeah, I, I think. Craig, I think it's one of those things where you look at the years that they're really competitive, and like you said, they, even those years they had you know pitching issues. But what they did have is they had a couple guys kind of come to the forefront where you maybe didn't expect, and they had more depth too. They had more more of these options where you, know, you could bring a guy up and, and, and give him a spot start, and he would contribute. And they didn't have that this year. They didn't have nearly the depth that they've had in the past. And and and, and like you said, you can call it kind of the the. Uh, you know, smoke and mirrors kind of thing, and maybe it is, but that's what they had. You know, that's, and, and, and this year, you know, you talk, we, we, I think, you know, we're all kind of talking about, oh, you've got to fill three rotation spots. They've got to do more than that. They've got to fill, they've got to basically have a, you know, six, seven, eight kind of man, you know, stockpile of guys who they can depend on for starts. And they didn't have that at all last year because everything kind of, you know, there's a lot of reasons why they can't go into that in 30 seconds, but, you know, there was so much other stuff that, that really happened with that rotation. So, you know, I know we're, we're kind of talking about, oh, we've got to fill out the rotation, but, you know, there's more to do than that. And, and I, I really think more than any year going into the next year, that that's really, really, really going to be a challenge for them because they're not just going to have to look from, you know, the free agency market or the international market or even trade. They're, they're, they're still going to have to depend on, on what they've got in the system. Ed, real quick, uh, who's going to win Game 7 tonight, Astros or Yankees? That's a tough one because I like the Astros. I like how this home field advantage is kind of shaken up for, for the teams when they've been at home. And um, But, man, the, the way CC Sabathia's pitched, you know, in, in the postseason and, and, and in, you know, in big games, you know, I mean, he's been one of the guys who have kind of, you know, if, if you need a left-handed starter and, you know, the price is right, you know, and, and he knows how to handle the American League East. Who knows if, if uh, you know the old can make a push for him, but uh, you know he's got probably to be a short contract. He's getting older; I think thirty-seven uh, at the end of the year. But um, I, I only I, asked. I, I only asked who was going to win the night. <laughs> I, I, I'll pick the Astros. All right, that's the right answer, by the All way. All right, hey, I just thought I'd let you know that Ed been Thanks, been too long. Appreciate it. We'll get you on again sometime around the winter baseball meetings. All right, my friend. Thanks. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, man. All right. Have a good off-season. Ed Encina, although it's not really 
an off season for him. Never is. It never is. That well, that changed a few years back. <laughs> we're gonna take a timeout, and there's never an off season on the bat no. round. As a matter of fact, we're gonna take a timeout, uh, and when we get back, Todd Dibus of the Washington Times is gonna join us, and we're gonna talk about a team that is suddenly and surprisingly looking for a manager of the Washington Nationals. He covers them for the Washington Times. We'll be right back. Great news. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square has a brand new catering delivery truck. Order your next office party platter from Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, and Steve and his crew will bring your chicken piping hot in the all-new Chick-fil-A delivery van. You'll salivate when you see it pull up. Office party, birthday celebration, family gathering, Chick-fil-A catering ensures fast, scrumptious, fresh food with everything you need included. Order using your Chick-fil-A app or call Steve right now and tell him what you need when and for how many. They can feed hundreds. Remember, Chick-fil-A now offers breakfast, too, so they can cater your morning meeting, including hot, rich coffee. And it all comes in the brand-new Chick-fil-A delivery van. That's Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard, or give them a call, 410-931-0031. The Parkcell Early Phase Unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study. Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify, you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call 1-877-617-8839. Call now. For the rest of October, Full Circle Tire and Auto continues their Brakes for Breasts campaign. During October, Full Circle is offering free brake pads. For every brake service performed at the shop, customers will receive their brake pads free. You just pay for the labor and other parts that may be needed. Full Circle will donate 10% of that brake service to the Cleveland Clinic Breast Cancer Vaccine Research Fund. Find out more by calling 410-366-CARS. That's 410-366-2277. Or visit FullCircleTireAndAuto.com. KZ here, Pressbox Fantasy and Re- Reality football show with Sarita, the NFL chick. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I- I'm great. Every Sunday, 10 to noon, we talk about mostly football. Yes. We-, we talk about the college game. We talk about the NFL game. We will throw in sports, local sports, some Orioles, some Terps. If there's an important story around the country, we'll throw that in. But our heart, our soul, of course, is football. Baltimore sports. Baltimore sports. In general. Do a little bit DC. We got to give them some love sometimes. Uh, I guess. Sundays, <laughs> Sundays, 10 to noon, Pressbox Fantasy Reality Football Show. Many people know about Goodwill through donating clothes and furniture. Did you know that Goodwill also accepts vehicle donations? Goodwill accepts vehicles in running or non-running condition. When you donate a vehicle, you can steer clear of all of the headaches associated with trying to sell a car yourself. It's fast, simple, and reliable, and you also receive a tax deduction. When you donate to Goodwill, know that your donation is being used to help someone find a job. Last year, we provided job training services to people in need of assistance because of physical, mental, or other social barriers and placed over 3,000 into jobs. To donate your vehicle to Goodwill, visit givethegoodwill.org or call 866-492-2770. That's givethegoodwill.org, 866-492-2770. 
The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, Sandra McKee profiles Dr. Leanne Curl, not only the first female team orthopedic in the NFL, but also a huge part of everything the Ravens do. Also, 10 questions with Ravens kicker Justin Tucker and more. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. All right, we are back on the bat around. Stan the Fan and Craig Heist. Uh, other guests on the show at 11.05, Casey Willett, former Orioles radio producer for WBAL. Did he also do it when the games were on 105.7 The Fan, too, didn't he? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, so he because worked, he went from yeah, BAL over. Right, yeah, that's right. Uh, and also, uh, David Kaplan. Do you know David, by the way? I uh, do not. David is apparently sort of a... Uh, um, a radio TV guy out there uh, in Chicago, mm-hmm. and David uh, set up set upon the uh, the daunting task last year. And I'll, I'll bet he probably I'll bet he probably started the process in mid season 2016 of writing a book called The Plan uh, on the work of uh, Theo Epstein and Joe Madden at bringing the uh, Cubs their first World Series in well over a hundred years. And uh, think about the excitement that that all. The only thing I don't want to have happen is now you, you had the Cubs win it after 108 years right, last year. Right. They get to the playoffs this year. They lose uh, in the uh, in the NLCS to the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. You just I don't want them to become the Red Sox fans where they kind of think they're entitled to it every year. I haven't seen signs of that quite yet, but let's hope it doesn't get that way. Chicago, very different city than yes. Boston. Yeah. So. Um, but anyway, it'll be interesting to see. I will make you one prediction now because I watched the Cubs a great deal this year. Thought most of their issues, Craig, were sort of the hangover from winning last year. Oh, the first half, certainly. But, but I watched them, and there's no question that uh, Chris Bryant's a great player. There's no question that Rizzo's a great player. After that, that lineup is is pretty pitchable too. It's pitchable, yeah. but there's there's certain parts that are kind of catalyst. Uh, I think Contreras is a real good catcher, right? And he he hit cleanup most yeah. of the year yeah, for for Joe Madden. So. See the home run that he hit in yes, uh, yes. game four. So my prediction is that the Cubs really make every effort to get Giancarlo Giancarlo Stanton. From the, certainly uh, a possibility, from yeah, the because they're going to try to unload him. So yeah. uh, we'll see what happens. We're going to try to make our connection with Todd uh, Dibus from the uh, Washington Times and uh, see what he has to say about Dusty Baker. I know what I have to say about it. I just think this was a terrible decision. How quickly do you think uh, do you think this is a decision that ultimately will come after the uh, World Series? Well, I'm sure it will, yeah. yeah. I mean, in terms of who they hired uh, to replace him because – you want to have a manager in place uh, because once once November, you get through November, you're talking about the winter meetings and all of those things. You want to make sure you have somebody in place to, to, to get the ball rolling. We're just about to make our con- connection with Todd, but one quick question. You were talking about the fans. What do you think the, the roster of veteran players, Bryce Harper, 
uh, Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, and uh, Daniel Murphy and Zimmerman and Rendon. What do you think they think of this move? I, I without talking to anybody, yeah. because obviously it's only a day old. Right. Uh, I would say that they're scratching their they're heads. They're kind of scratching their heads at this. That would be my All my right. guess. Why don't you introduce our next guest? Our Mr. next Hunt. guest is the beat writer for the Washington Times. It covers the Washington Nationals and several other sports in D.C. Because we hooked this up last night at the Wizards game, so, so Todd he was covering the Wizards. Yeah, too. Todd Dibus is with us, and Todd, good morning. How are you, Stan Charles, Craig Heist? How are you? Good morning. I'm good, guys. How are you? All right. Let me ask you right off the bat. Uh, we got Dusty uh, not coming back uh, with the Nationals, announced yesterday by the club. Uh, how surprised were you, number one? Because when I it hit my email, I was like, are you kidding me? How surprised were you? Um, in a vacuum, I was very surprised. You look at 95 wins, 97 wins, division title, division title, shot to advance. Uh, at home, back-to-back years, um, good responses from the clubhouse. This year in particular, steering the team through a lot of injuries but not falling off and all those things. And you, you, if you ask those up, you think in difficult times, this is a manager you would have already extended, let alone you know, extended it after the season. Instead of operating in a vacuum, we are operating in the Nationals version of the world. <laughs> and so in that regard, I'm not surprised. Um, I think the organization very much looks at Masters as plug-and-play. I think they think they have a structure. And they're just putting in one of the least important pieces in their view, uh, and that's the manager. And so they keep changing the manager and positive results. There, you know, Craig, you're, there would be, you, we hear Rizzo say this all the time, well, we've started to win a lot in a very short time, and, you know, we have our way of doing things, and we've got good results, and this is what we hear every time they make a major change around the manager. So, in that regard, I'm not surprised. Todd, uh, Stan Charles here from PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Uh, in the past, I've had a general idea of which way the Nationals would go. Uh, right now, I'm, I'm at a loss. Uh, this didn't surprise me, by the way. I predicted this was going to happen, but and I'm not saying I agree with it. I just could s- smell it. Uh, but Craig Heiss mentioned a name to me that I had kind of forgotten. It was the guy a lot of people thought should have been given a shot a couple of years ago, Randy Noor, who's still in the organization, might that be the the easiest way to go? Yeah, you know, it, it, it must be. And it would also be an inexpensive an, an way to go, yeah. which is another thing the Nationals organization prefers when yeah. we're talking about this specific job. Um, it's interesting. We didn't see Randy much. He popped into the clubhouse only once this year that I, I recall seeing him. Now, obviously, he could have been more often, but I saw him once. Um, Hey, Todd. Hey, Todd. I'm sorry. Todd. Todd. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Can we try and call you back and make a better connection? We're we're missing about every other word that you're saying. Can we do that? Um, tell me, is this any better? Uh, yeah, it's a little better. Yeah, better. Yep. Sorry, I recently moved, and my cell phone thinks I moved to Mars instead. I only moved to Maryland. (laughs) I've had. Trust me, Um, I've had the same situation on occasion. 
so I apologize. That's okay. Um, uh, I'll backtrack and say that we, we, in regard to Randy Knorr, it's interesting. Um, he's inexpensive. He would be inexpensive, which is the Nationals' ownership preference. And I only saw him once in the clubhouse this year. It's kind of interesting how he was basically passed over and moved out of like a, a, a clear day-to-day operations role, or at least a visible role, um, but stayed with the organization. So I, I think that's an interesting idea to put forth by Craig. I'm also curious if they would consider Mike Maddox. Yeah. Um, I think they liked him, liked what he did a lot. And uh, I don't know, you know, that his contract being up and being part of the rest of the coaching staff that was out renewed um, would limit him. I wouldn't think it would. That's good, though. I mean, in terms of He'd Mike Maddox, name, yeah. that's a good name, It's and it's uh, somebody who I think the, the entire pitching staff praises quite a bit. Uh, but I want to go back to something that Stan asked me right before we got on the air with you, and that's that the the veteran leadership in this clubhouse, the Ryan Zimmermans, the, the you know, Rendones, the, the Rendones, Harpers, Harpers, yeah, guys like that, uh, I have to feel like just in talking to them about – Dusty over the last couple of years, this was probably a head scratcher for a lot of them. Yeah, and I think at some point, I mean, Harper's going to be playing for his fourth manager. He's going to be in the yeah. final season of his contract, the final season of his contract that we've been talking about since he signed <laughs> uh, way back when. Uh, so, he, I mean, I feel like he's got to be rolling his eyes. I thought his statements when Matt Williams left versus his statements when they, after they lost game five were very, very different things. Um, he, he was very publicly supportive of Matt Williams. He was noncommittal and brief in regard to Dusty Baker. Mm-hmm. At the time, I attributed that to the situation. It's 1 o'clock in the morning. They were just eliminated again, mm-hmm. and here we are asking him about the future, which is not a great situation for the player or the media. So... Um, Zimmerman, Rendon, things kind of roll off their backs. I think, you know, in regard to Zimmerman, he knows he's going to be here no matter what. So he's got to see what happens. Um, Jason Worth not being there anymore is certainly going to shift the dynamic internally. Uh, he spoke very, very highly of Dusty. So we'll, we'll see. Um, it, it's, it's just strange. This amount of turnover for a successful team is just strange. We don't see it from any other team in the major four major pro sports. And I don't know whether that's because the the way we perceive success anymore in this game has, has changed dramatically. I think that's a large part of it. But I brought up something. I was on a show yesterday, and I said to the to the host, I said, you know, I came from the, from the Earl Weaver end of it when he took over at the All-Star break in 68, straight on up until, until 80, 82. Until yeah. 82. And could have gone three, four more years easily. Right, because basically Joe Altabelli won the 93 World, I mean the 83 World Series with Weaver's club from the year before. Right. Uh, but I always said that whole 14-year period, the Orioles finished no worse than third, and usually it was first or second, and they were always in contention. And I say, if you're a baseball fan of a team, that's what you want. You want to feel like you have a chance every year. And I think continuity plays a big, big role in that. And I, I've, Even though Ted Lerner is probably – how old is Ted Lerner? In his late 70s, early 80s? 
No, he's he's in his eighties. He's yeah. in his eighties. Even yeah. though he's an experienced businessman, and his son, they're they're neophytes in this. Believe me, Peter Angelos, when he owned the team for 10, 12 years, mm-hmm. had made multiple, multiple managerial changes. Yeah. You're thinking that, oh, we, we're, you know, we can just change that yeah. quickly. I think what they, they lose sight of is the continuity in the clubhouse. I mean, they could run the risk of having to start the entire culture clock over again next year. And what it's going to do, too, I, I think some other players, even though players they've been able to attract free agents – one of the things that people out there are looking at this yeah. and saying, well, what's going on there? They have success. They're getting to the playoffs, yet they're changing their man. I mean, this is going to be, what, the – And Craig Heist the, is there every day. The fifth or those, sixth those manager. are saying that, too. Fifth or sixth manager since yeah. 11. Yeah. So, I mean, there's not much to say about continuity here. No. And you know what was interesting is, is this summer when the Reds came, I went – down and talked to Jim Regelman, mm-hmm. who's now their bench coach. So obviously he had some unique perspective of being a successful manager here, not getting an extension, and he took the very dramatic move of quitting on the spot because he didn't like what he was hearing. And I asked him if, you know, the, how the Nationals were handling managers was a thing around baseball yet. And, you know, we always wonder why do people end up taking these jobs, and but there's only many of them we always run into that that someone's willing to do it of course especially with a roster like this but Riggleman at the time thought that there was a bit of that but he said as soon as Dusty signed you know that would go away he mm-hmm. said if something totally unexpected happened and Dusty wasn't here then that talk would continue through next year but the day he signs the contract I think it's going to be okay we all knew this was going to happen it's all good let's go to work well, he didn't sign. So at the winter meetings, it's going to be interesting to see how people are viewing what the Nationals are doing here. Um, I think there's an ongoing separation between kind of how, as you said, the learners are very savvy business people, yep. um, but they're not necessarily baseball people. Mike Rizzo is a baseball person who's also heading into the last year of his contract. You wonder what he thinks of all this and what his actual personal preference was. Some people have suggested that he wanted Baker back, but they didn't. The family didn't. So he has to go out publicly and say this is what we decided when it wasn't really a we. Um, So we'll see what happens with him, too, coming up. Yeah, and a lot of of the things that was said at that conference call yesterday – uh, you know, we're, you know, he said, well, look, he says, we've won, yes, but now winning a division title isn't good enough. There's higher expectations for this group, and rightfully so. But by the same token, you, you really like, to, to your point, you really have to think that this really wasn't a Mike Rizzo decision. No, doesn't seem to be. Hey, uh, Todd, I just want to uh, move off to another topic for uh, one moment. You, we mentioned okay. Bryce, Bryce Harper's contract is up after this year. The club took the... Uh, uncommon approach of buying out that arbitration um, decision in as early as, I think, mid-May this year. Uh, Bryce is going to get $21 million, and it's kind of interesting. Josh Donaldson's arbitration figure supposedly is 20.2, and Machado's is way down at 17.4. The Nationals were very proactive and, and went out of their way to get Harper happy and lined up. Do you think that could have a carryover effect in the relationship? 
Well, I, I think that certainly the intent is basically greasing the tracks. Yep. Um, ultimately, I I don't think it's going to matter one bit. I think um, you know they, you would assume they're going to approach him this off season and say, "Hey, here's an offer," right? Yeah. Um, and then you would rightly also assume that Scott Boris would laugh and then you know <laughs> you play out the season and he becomes an unrestricted free agent at the end of it and finally does um, all that stuff that Nationals fans have feared and Yankees fans have assumed, and we go through that whole process uh, in the next winter. So I, I would be stunned if there's any extension, no matter what they did. Uh, it, it, you know, as you said, it, it's a large figure um, and not a usual process that they put forth to get them to that figure, and I think it was a smart move there. You know, you got to try to make him happy, as happy as you can, uh, before, even during, you know, you don't want him up playing upset, and um, you certainly want to have goodwill uh, beforehand, knowing that you're going to have a very difficult and high-priced negotiation in your future. Whenever I get a Washington writer on, I ask them this question, and I'm going to phrase it slightly differently to you, Todd. They probably, if they'd taken Bryce to arbitration, they might have gotten him at twenty million point five or something like that. Were they? Uh, was the extra money that they might have tossed into this just chump change to them to to tweak the Orioles and Peter Angelos? <laughs> no, I well, <laughs> that I mean, that's this is. Answering that is purely speculation. Yeah, but, um, asking it I, is as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I will say that based on how the learners operate, they don't see one, they don't see one penny of anything as Trump change. Okay. Um, I think they are very, and I think this is part of what played into not bringing Dusty back. Mm-hmm. They paid all the money to Max Scherzer. They paid all the money to Strasburg. As you mentioned, they had this very high figure, for someone who was in arbitration. They paid Daniel Murphy. They have Ryan Zimmerman's very large contract. They gave Matt Wieters $10 million. Geo is $12 million. They had to, they had to pay Ryan Madsen $7.5 million to be the setup guy. That's not a normal thing for them. So their payroll is at a place, and their expect, expectations are at a place where, yeah, not one cent has jumped change to them, I wouldn't think. All right, Todd, we really appreciate your coming on, especially from Mars all the way to Mars. It was really, we, we appreciate your insights, and we'll grab you sometime maybe around the baseball winter meetings. Really appreciate it. Todd Davis of the Washington Times does a very fine job covering the uh, Nats, the Washington Nationals, and, and the other Wizards. sports, and yeah. the Wizards. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to make our connection. We're staying right here. We're making our connection with one Casey Willett, Orioles radio producer extraordinaire from the past. What well, he's been out two years now, Been right? out two years, yep, and made the decision to leave the area and head on down to uh, Tennessee. Tennessee. And he's God's country. God's country, there that's go. right. We'll talk to him about his time as Orioles radio producer and his thoughts on the retirement of two people I'm sure he got to know in his seven, eight years in that job, that's uh, Fred Manfra mm-hmm. uh, and Richie Bansells. And yeah. you were trying to get Richie to come well, on we'll the show today. We'll have him on this possible uh, next uh, week. It's a possibility. 
Uh, Richie had a, 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 pr- a previous engagement this morning. Right. Couldn't do it. Uh, but it, uh, he said... Uh, With a more well-respected broadcast team? Uh, pretty much. Yeah. No, no. But uh, <laughs> he, said, uh, he said he'll probably do it next week. All right. That sounds great. Great start for next week. Sounds good. Casey Willett will join us in just a minute. Then again at 11.35, um, David Kaplan, who wrote a book called The Plan... He will join us at 11.35. I'm and that, gonna plan, let you... that plan got a little derailed this year. Well, it's going to be a different plan. You know, for David, maybe it's the plan, too. It could you be know, the plan, part too. Two. Yeah. I'll let you, as I'm doing all day today, introduce uh, well, our guest this, today. This guy needs no introduction as far as I'm concerned. Uh, he was a good friend of mine. Uh, did a lot of work for me at a point in time early in his career and uh, went on to good things uh with, uh, as you like to say, that's that other station in town, and also WBAL, along with uh, 1057 uh, The along Fan. Along with 1057 The Fan, and he is Casey Willett, who was the radio engineer for the Baltimore Orioles broadcast on, uh, on the flagship station. And uh, Casey, how are you this morning? You know, guys, I don't ever know if it's a good thing that you work for almost every radio station in town or if it's a bad thing. Uh, you know what, though? It's it's a good thing, if, trust if, me. If, it's, <laughs> it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing because if that happens, it usually means people know you're worth your weight in, in gold uh, and you can provide a, a purpose, and you certainly did that. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. Hi, Steve. It's funny. I was just going through a box of pictures the other day, and uh, <laughs> it was, here's a shocker. There's a picture Ray Bachman took of me and you at the Super Bowl in Detroit, which I guess that would have been... Yeah, Steelers and Seahawks. Steelers, oh, yeah. Steelers and uh, Seahawks. Was that about game. seven years ago? Nine years yeah, ago? Yeah, and we were... we were sitting at the table editing audio, and I'm like, I can only imagine what was being said when that was taken. Yeah. But, yeah, that was... Uh, I remember the early days of Heisty would say, hey, uh, okay, I'll go to the Orioles, you go to the Red Sox, or you go to the Orioles, I'll go to the Red Sox. So I, I owe a huge debt of gratitude to Heisty. Hey, we had you on, and we will turn our attention to your your decision to leave uh, the, the baseball world, which I know was not an easy one emotionally for you. But I want to ask you about two people that have left the Orioles' employ, and at our play-by-play voice, Fred Manfra, and now trainer Richie Bansells. I just, I know you probably got to know both of them very well, very fond of them. I'm sure they're very fond of you. Your thoughts on them? Yeah, you know, Richie, Richie is interesting because, you know, when before I started doing the uh, games on radio, I worked for, as you guys mentioned, other stations, and so... Richie was sort of this guy you'd never really heard from. Yep. Uh, you saw him, but you never really heard him talk. And usually when he did, it was something bad had happened, whether it was an injury or, unfortunately, during the Palmero and Sosa and Tejada era, um, a lot of off-the-field stuff. But once I got to started traveling with the team, uh, Richie actually sat in the room across and behind me. So we talked a lot uh, on the plane and uh, – Really good guy. It's amazing the stories he has. You know, his well, I guess forty something years or whatever he's been around. Um, but really funny. He's got a, a good, quick, you know, sense of humor, and he, he's a really good storyteller. So I really enjoyed getting to know Richie and then Fred. I mean, there's not many people on the face of the earth better than Fred Manfred. Um, I, I remember my first game I ever did. Um, scared to death because I really didn't know Joe and Fred 
that well. And, and Fred just kind of talked to me a little bit before the game and then would give me little pointers and tell stories. And uh, we we were in on some practical jokes on Joe together, and Fred always got a big kick out of that. But <laughs> Fred's a guy that would, would give you the shirt off his back in a heartbeat and not even think about it. And um, still get cards and gifts from around the holidays from Fred and an occasional text, you know, to see how I'm doing. And so he's, uh, Fred's a, a, an absolute legend. And it was sad to see it kind of end for him the way it did. Um, he went on his terms, but his body, I think, forced some of that. Yep. And, and he's one of those guys, you know, you look back to that 2014 season, obviously the players, but, you know, for being a hometown kid, you know, to get that close to the World Series with the Orioles. He was one of those guys, you know, you're like, you're kind of rooting the team would get there or win a ring, you know, for people like Fred who have gave everything they have basically to that organization in his job. Well, I think anybody that's in our business and, you know, if we're broadcasters, I think, you know, you, you inspire, aspire to do as much as you can in the business and with Fred, he lived the dream. I mean, here's a guy that yeah. gets a chance to be a play-by-play. hometown team. Uh, hometown team and call play-by-play baseball for his hometown team. That's, that's the equivalent. That's the broadcasting equivalent of Cal Ripken growing up in this area and being able to play his entire career for the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah, and, and it's funny. Uh, I'll tell you guys a quick story. We were, uh, I forget the year, we are playing the Cubs in Chicago, um, and – Walk out of Wrigley Field. Or out of Wrigley Field, there's thousands of people around the ballpark, and we're like, okay, how where are we going to get a cab? Um, how are we going to get back? This guy in the middle of the street goes, Fred Manfra. Fred goes, <laughs> yeah. Starts talking to the guy. They had worked together years ago, um, I think for CBS in New York. And this guy was walking to his car, and he said, Oh, hey, let me give you guys a ride. I'll take you back. <laughs> and uh, so it was just crazy. We, you know, I kind of laughed. I'm like, what are the odds that we're walking down this busy street and here's this guy that, you know, 20, 30 years ago worked with Fred in New York. <laughs> that's, and, that's a great story. Us, it saved me my meal money, so I was very appreciative. That I didn't <laughs> money. Well, when, you, when I know how, how well you eat, along with the per diem, <laughs> that, that's a big savings there. <laughs> yeah, it's either cab or walk. I'm like, oh, you know, it's not that far. I'll walk. Hey, Casey, uh, we did want to have you on. I read this thing you wrote about, what's it, about four or five weeks ago now? Yeah, so a little backstory. So I guess some people know, some people don't know. Uh, I'm 80% disabled from my time in the military. Um, So uh, the military is actually sending me to go back to school and paying for everything. And so I'm a, uh, no, don't, don't joke and make another comment. Heisty, but I'm a 40-year-old freshman at the University of Tennessee. In <laughs> How old do the girls look? Uh, you know, it's that would have been my, fir- that would have been my first question. Class, I look in class, and I'm like, I have a stepdaughter older than you. <laughs> That's the, I feel like you, you guys have probably seen the movie Billy Madison when Adam Sandler goes back to school. Yeah. That's literally what I feel like every day. And kids will reference something. And, and it was funny. I had a Spanish class this summer, and uh, my professor who's got his doctor, he's 41 years old, so it really made me feel great about myself. But we made a comment about a TV show, and he goes, no one in here has any clue what we're talking about. Yeah, I, I yeah. Uh, you know. So uh, anyway, one of my... Uh, I have an amazing English professor, and I really love this class, and she wanted us to write a memoir 
about something in life. And um, so what I wrote about was something that was a very significant moment for me during uh, my life and my time in baseball. I love I love the fact that you said, Heisty, before you say anything crude and rude. Right. You know, <laughs> like, like I would do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well... <laughs> I, I know the I know the elevator was ready to open and spill out something. So I thought it was. All right, so now I want to take this. I don't want to make this sad at all, but I do want to, no. to stick with this. You wrote this piece for your class, and it's right. why you chose. And I guess in some ways, mentally, it was a very easy decision for you. You know, involved with your family, your wife right. that I know you love to death. Um, but emotionally, that's got to be the dream job for somebody like you to have, traveling around, being hobnobbing with, you know, Chris Davis and Adam Jones and Richie Bansells and Buck and Fred and Joe. So talk, run it through what, what this process was like for you to give that up to and what you gave it up for, Casey. Yeah, so it was, you know, all I wanted to be when I was growing up, I wanted to be a professional baseball player. That was it. I had no idea what I was going to do beyond that. Um, obviously, that didn't work out. Uh, I got in radio, and I just remember being asked if I wanted to be the Orioles producer, and I'm like, sure. And then I walked out of the office, and I'm like, I have no idea what he just asked me to do, but it's going to be in baseball. And for me, it was such a dream job. Um, you know, I, I was fortunate that I got to kind of join in when the resurgence of the Orioles kind of started uh, in 2010, although my first year was interesting because it was the Dave Tremley, Juan Samuel, Buck Walter all managed in the same year. So that was, that was interesting. But I, I just remember, you know, it, it would be crazy, like you said, to, you know, Adam Jones and, and the different players. But then, you know, Mike Flanagan, who I loved to death, you know, I remember kind of watching him when I was younger and we're sitting beside each other on the bus and Mike Bordick and Jim Palmer and, you know, Gary Thorne, who oddly enough, I only really knew from video games as a kid. Um, it, it was, it was amazing. And, you know, my three favorite players of all time were Nolan Ryan, Mark Grace and Ben McDonald. And, you know, Ben McDonald growing up in Louisiana, when I was growing up, he was, he was it. So he was to God there. Get to, yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, to get to meet him and, and become friends with him and, uh, meet Nolan Ryan and different guys. It, it really was. It was a dream job. Um, I, I don't think what people realize is how tiring of a job that is. You know, I, I think a lot of people have this misconception that if the game starts at seven, you show up at six. And right. You know, and, and when the last sound is recorded, you go home, and, and you guys know that you're there way before. I mean, when the game starts, you kind of get to actually relax a little bit. Trust me, there's uh, radio general managers that feel the same way. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, and then when it's over, you know, you, you're you writing whatever you have to write or doing a show or, you know, as Heisty does, giving updates for 75 stations in America. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> all the different things. So it's tiring. And, and, you know, in traveling, it's a, well, the Orioles was, you know, it's amazing. It's a chartered plane. It's nice hotels. It's nice. There's nothing really to complain about it, but, you know, arriving, playing a game at Camden Yards and arriving in Boston at two thirty in the morning, um, you know, it, it, it wears, wears on you. And, and with kids at home and my wife is a uh, nurse practitioner, 
uh, neonatal nurse practitioner. So she was working a lot. So I would come home and I might see my kids for two hours probably in a two or three day span sometimes. And then being gone on the road, I might go a week and a half without ever seeing it. Um, so, it was, you know, it started to weigh on me after really kind of the end of my fifth year. Um, and, and oddly enough, I remember talking to guys like, you know, Fred and, and just like, I don't know how you guys do this for 20 something years. And, and I'll tell you, honestly, Stan, a lot of it, um, not to be sad, but yeah. I really started to think about it a lot when Monica passed away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and then what happened with Mike Flanagan is just like, man, like blows you away. You know, it's, it, 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 you realize how quickly, you know, it fades away. And, yep. you know, and, and my kids and my wife got to see a lot of things and meet a lot of, you know, players and go to different places, but I just didn't want to do it. You know, it's a hard life to do. Um, and it, it takes a toll on you mentally and physically. And so um, the, the basic point of what the paper that I wrote was um, I remember just not wanting to do it and kind of was debating it and debating it and debating it. And then my, uh, you're now 12, but Gabe uh, said to me, he said, dad, you know, you haven't been home for my last six birthdays. Wow. And um, he is, if, when his birthday is, that day is his birthday. He doesn't do the, hey, the weekend before, or, hey, the weekend right. after. It's, right. We're doing something on my birthday. And that's, I think, what it really hit home to me um, was sort of, wow, you know, like he's been to, you know, Toronto and he's been to Texas and he's been to D.C. and he's been to all these cool places and met all these players. But me not being home for his birthday is what he's remembered the most. Now the kicker and, to the, the kicker to the story is you got a D minus on that paper, didn't you? Uh, well, I'm, I'm kidding. Hoping, I'm kidding. I, look, Stan, I'm hoping I get that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe in the C's make degrees philosophy. That, Stan. I'm not trying to. <laughs> Casey, that sounds like an A plus paper. Uh, no matter how she how she or he your teacher graded it, that sounds like it's from the heart. Uh, the yeah, tr- the trade off in two years now. That all sounds good when you write it up and you talk about it. Has it tangibly enriched your life being jumping back into being present with your family? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, you know, now if we want to go somewhere on the weekend, it's not, you know, well, I'm tired or I only, it's the all-star, but that was the other thing that used to crack me up. People are like, well, you have the all-star break. And I'm like, what you going to do during the all-star break is sleep, right? you know, and, uh, it, it really, you know, it's funny. I didn't realize how tired I was getting until the, I remember the first year was at Buck's office. And, uh, he asked me, he was like, you enjoyed this? I'm like, yeah, you know, this is great. This is my first year. And he said, about two weeks after the season ends, your body's just going to decide it's going to sleep. He's like, you know, it'll just say, we're going to sleep right now. And he goes, it could be midnight or it could be noon and you're going to sleep for about two days straight. Um, but it is, you know, to be home with them and, I take them to school every day. I pick them up from school. I, you know, I'm the, I'm usually the only dad on a field trip. If there's a field trip mm-hmm. or, you know, running them around and, and I miss, you know, I, I don't necessarily miss the games so much. I miss the people like you guys and Joe and Fred and, uh, you know, the players when they weren't on the field and kind of getting to know them and a bunch yep. of, you know, it's a really good media group and people that work with the Orioles. So I miss them, but I don't miss all of the travel and, um, uh, if I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't have changed it. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I know I made the right decision. Um, 
especially now, you know, my boys are getting, they're 14 and 12, so they're getting to that age where dad being home is, uh, and my 12-year-old still jokes, he's like, I'm just not used to dad. Like, if we go camping, you can go camping with us now. Or if we, that's great. you know, go to the Six Flags, you can go with us. And so that's really, I mean, that's that's been worth it all for me. Now, the one thing that uh, I, I knew you were leaving, and then when you told me you were moving, that was the yeah, that, that, that was kind of the double one that down kind of doubled down yeah. on it you know uh you know because you're missed around here for sure and uh uh you know you you miss being at your computer and then having Casey pile down from upstairs and say something smart to you and then turn around and leave just like that <laughs> whether it was about Palmero whether it was about Messina uh, the names yeah, changed the name, but the, right but the yeah. one liners continued right Casey, so yeah, tell tell our listeners what what you are doing now. What what is college gearing you up for? What would you like to do? Well, so the, the, what I'm going to school back going back to school. I can write, but I can't talk. Obviously, um, is to be a social worker, and really, what I want to focus on is helping veterans because yeah. you know it's amazing to me to see, and it's sad. And I'm actually uh, doing a work study at a place. Uh, here in Chattanooga, you know, veterans that come in and, and unfortunately, you know, they're now Vietnam and Korean era and they, they have no idea what they're eligible for, you know, whether that's housing, whether that's, you know, a tax break, whether that's free health care, dental care, education, whatever it might be. Um, and it, it, it's sad, you know, that there's so many of these people that basically signed up to pay the ultimate sacrifice and then they come back home and, they almost feel forgotten, but they don't realize that there are things out there to help them get medical care or to get a loan for a home or, you know, for a car or whatever it might be. So that's really, once I get into where I really want to focus, that's what I want to do is, you know, help veterans um, with the process of what's available for benefits and different things like that. I just want to tell you as a brief aside, I've gotten to know a, a young lady named Lynn Coughlin, her brother, uh, Chris Coughlin was killed in action in Afghanistan after he was there about three or four months, I think. And his his phrase used to be he was a workout freak, and he enlisted in the in the army at the age of 41 because he said, "I'm single. I don't have any kids. Maybe I can save somebody else's life." Uh, and his phrase was, "I'm going to catch a lift," which meant that he was going to go to the gym and work out. And his right. sister started a foundation, and I'd really like you to look look it up. It's called the Catch a Lift Fund, and okay. what it does is it raises money all around the country uh, to to give. This is not something that can get distorted like the Wounded Warriors. Some right. of the programs have this. This earmarks about ninety two cents, ninety three cents out of every dollar they raise goes to buying gym memberships. And where necessary, home gym equipment for wounded warriors and the effect it's had on some people being able to really get back into working out is just uh, had an amazing therapeutic uh, uh, response. Yeah, it's it's amazing, and, and and you know, for a lot of military guys, that was a thing you went and worked out, yeah, uh, kind of in your spare time, and then you get out now. It's so uh, hey, it's ninety dollars a month, or right. Um, different things like that. And, you know, there's some people, they, a lot of people, they just can't afford that. So I, I think that's really yeah. awesome. Uh, another, I got involved, uh, there's a foundation that's called Operation Song, 
uh, and here in Chattanooga, it's uh, just blows my mind, but there's two songwriters from Nashville and, and both were very, very successful and still are. They drive basically two hours every Wednesday morning down here. And there's a group of veterans and, uh, two, two weeks ago, no, actually last week in the room was a guy from world war two, two guys from the Korean war, two from Vietnam and two guys from Iraq and Afghanistan. And then me, but anyway, they take your story and what they do is they write a song. Wow, that's and pretty. so these these two songwriters from Nashville, uh, who've written with, you know, Reba McIntyre, Alabama, Dirks Bentley, you know, you name it, they've written with these people, uh, and they they don't get paid. That's just something that they feel passionate about, and, and it's it's amazing to kind of hear your story made into a song, and then once they have it written, they take it to Nashville, and they fully produce it and make album, you know, make CDs out of it. Uh, and you get like the songwriter credit. So if it was ever picked up commercially or whatever, you could get the royalty check. So that sounds yeah, there, incredible. There yeah. Of, yeah, there are a lot of great things out there. And, and unfortunately, you know, and Wounded Warrior has its good parts, but, you know, people love to, yep. I think anytime you have a nonprofit and somebody kind of pulls the cover back and realizes something dirty is going on, people yeah. then forever you know, want to say, oh, well, it's a bad organization. So there's a lot yeah, of... Yeah, no, at its heart, it's... Publicity. At its heart, it's a great organization. It's just sometimes these organizations get so big that the the cost of administrating them, you you, you end up losing a lot of the money that's geared for for the people. It right. just gets dissipated. Casey, we really appreciate your spending some time. Craig's got one more for you, and then we'll take a break. How how old is Gabe now? Gabe's twelve. Yeah, and, and that just goes. I'm I'm bouncing this kid right. on my well, knee. Two. Probably two or three at the time, yeah, yeah and just amazing. Right. Well, and, 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 and you'll appreciate this, too. My 14-year-old is now taller than me. Uh, yeah, it's funny how that happens, right? Yeah, so so I'm I'm slowly but surely engaged, not far behind. So I'm like, man, I went from 6'4", and I'm about to be one of the shortest people in my own house. So. That's unbelievable. All right, we'll give our best to everybody in the family, and we do appreciate I was uh, – I'm not going to say I was in tears when I read the piece five, six weeks ago, but I was really moved by it. And uh, but he cries, I, he cries a lot, especially when I walk in the room. I, <laughs> I cry when well, I cut onions and when you walk in hey, the room. I, yeah, I see. If everybody cries when you walk in the room, it's not necessarily everybody else. Yeah, you there you be, go. You might be the problem. All right, stay in touch, right, Casey Willett. All right, I have will. a good day. All right, there you go, Casey Willett. One of the one of the good people. He is. Yeah. He, no question about it. Uh, gl- glad we pulled that off. Uh, wanted to talk to him after reading that. And, and if, right from the heart, yeah, you know? Yeah. Now, I mean, I, I can relate to what he was talking about. But, you know, 99 out of 100 people, that's what makes Casey so special. 99 out of 100 people would have let their love for that job overtake what was the right thing to do, and they just would have stayed there. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Anyway, we're going to take a time out. When we get back, we'll have a couple minutes to chat. And then David Kaplan is going to join us. His book, Epstein, The Plan, Epstein, Madden, and the Audacious Blueprint for Cubs Dynasty. We'll find out about how he wrote the book and whether or not they're still on track for a Cubs Dynasty. We'll be right back with the bat around. 
for the rest of October, Full Circle Tire and Auto continues their Brakes for Breasts campaign. During October, Full Circle is offering free brake pads. For every brake service performed at the shop, customers will receive their brake pads free. You just pay for the labor and other parts that may be needed. Full Circle will donate 10% of that brake service to the Cleveland Clinic Breast Cancer Vaccine Research Fund. Find out more by calling 410-366-CARS. That's 410-366-2277. Or visit FullCircleTireAndAuto.com. Guys, can you believe that we've been in Section 336 for 25 years? Well, yeah, 25th anniversary of Cannon Yards. Yeah, we've been in Section 336. Well, I mean, technically. Are we? Well, technically we're in 334. No, no, no. Section 336. We're in Section 336. Yeah, like our podcast, that's who we are. We're Section 336. Every Monday night. Every Monday night, yeah. But, you know, when we go to the stadium... We tend to sit in 334. But the ticket's screwed up. We're just, we can touch Section 336. I walk past, I say hi to Ryan in Section 336. Yeah, and when we say hi to Ryan, we can talk Orioles because we always do here on the show, Section 336. Yeah, so Section 336. Section 336. That's where we are. Just lie to him. That's Pressbox. Find Section 336 at the podcast tab at pressboxonline.com or by going to iTunes or section336.com. Join us for Jim McKay, Maryland Million Day on Saturday, October 21st at Laurel Park. Come with friends and family to Maryland's Day at the Races, a celebration of Maryland's horses and lots of fun for all ages. First race is at 1215 with 11 exciting races. Don't miss the first annual hat contest, three categories and wonderful prizes. It will be fun for all at Laurel Park on Saturday, October 21st. For more information, visit MarylandMillion.com or MarylandRacing.com. Hey, it's Glenn, and I might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling no, podcast. No, 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 don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That means it is the best wrestling yeah, that, podcast. Look, just, just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to job and out. Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, real <laughs> quick. It's jobbing out, Glenn Clark, Aaron. Aaron Oster and AJ Francis of the Washington Redskins. He Terp. Every week we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com. PressBox's Project Game Day is back at halftime of every game. Glenn Clark goes live on PressBox's Facebook page to chat about how the Ravens have performed thus far. And after the game, Glenn is joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, to break down all aspects of what went right or wrong for Baltimore. Watch live at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Project Game Day is presented by ParXL and also brought to you by the U.S. Army. We'll see you for Project Game Day. Kyle, here's the thing. Since we're streaming live now every day at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports, video-wise, I'm going to need you to step your game up when it comes to what you wear to work every day from 10 to noon. Uh, I hear you. I mean, I, I'm, they can't see my legs. I can still wear the chaps. Okay, that's fine. I just don't understand for me why they have to be assless chaps. I have the chaps that I have. Okay. And I have the toes that I have. This is what we do every day from 10 to noon. Glenn Clark, Kyle Ottenheimer for Glenn Clark Radio. I'm not sure that you'll learn anything. I'm not sure that you'll ever really be entertained. But afterwards, it's going to be a pleasant experience for all involved. How does that work? Yeah, don't worry about it. Glenn Clark Radio and Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Well, we are back with the bat around on this Saturday morning and in late October. And late October means uh, baseball. 
And uh, we have got Game 7 tonight of an ALCS that saw the Astros jump out 2-0, saw the Yankees streak back with three straight wins in their park, and then it goes to Houston last night, a dominating performance by Justin Verlander, sets up a matchup tonight, an unlikely matchup, uh, if you're the Houston Astros who are pitching their, I guess the guy they deem their third best starting pitcher, Charlie Morton, who general manager Jeff well, it's Lunau. A re, it's a rematch of game three. Right. right. But Jeff Lunau uh, signed Charlie Morton to a two-year, $17 million contract, I think. He was only able to pitch a few innings last season for the Philadelphia Phillies 2016. He went 14-7 and seven this year. And I believe in 146 innings, he had about 163 Ks. Yeah, well, so he's he very capable. Yeah, throws hard, uh, and it's going to be fastball command with him tonight uh, to set up his other pitches. He's got to have the fastball command. Otherwise, he could, uh, if he runs into walking people and things of that nature, Yankees can take advantage of that. But the other side to that, too, is for as good as CC Sabathia has been in these playoffs and coming down the stretch, uh, the track record here recently for CC over the past couple of years hasn't been all that great, but he's certainly trying to pitch himself back into into prominence, and who knows, maybe he's back with the Yankees next year. Yeah, well, he's had the unenviable task at the age of about 35 of having to relearn the art of pitching because his dominant fastball was taken away from him through the multitude of knee problems that he had, so he's had to become a more thinking man's pitcher, mm-hmm. and he was to an extent even when he had the dominant pitching ability. Um, to me, this game boils down to Charlie Morton has never, and this does not mean I'm predicting flat out that he won't rise to the occasion. But Charlie Morton has never pitched in a game of this magnitude before. Well, that's true, and that's certainly. Uh you know, when you're when you're in that situation, but pitching that game at home certainly will help him with the crowd behind him, and uh, you know he's seen that Yankee lineup once already in this series, yep. and it was a it was a game that he pitched that he probably he didn't a little bit better than the numbers. Than the numbers indicate. I mean, you think about the double down the left field line that the left fielder gave up on, and it turns into a ground rule double. He hasn't been seen since. No, he hasn't been seen since, right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, some bad luck there. But, you know, the bottom line was, through the first five games of this series, the Astros scored a total of seven runs. And last night they scored seven in one game. Yep. So, I mean, their offense has pretty much been non-existent in this series, and that's going to have to change, and they're going to have to pick it up like they did last night. I think one of the more surprising things in that Astros lineup, the top two hitters, Springer, zero ninety one average, Reddick, no hits at all in well, this series. Yeah, he's 0 for 21 or 22, and combined they're like 2 for 46. Yeah, I, I have a hard time if I'm – well, I, I just would have Marwin Gonzalez batting higher up in the lineup than eighth or ninth. All right, we need to make our connection with Mr. David Kaplan. His book, Epstein, Madden, and the Audacious Blueprint for Cubs Dynasty, we'll be talking about that in just a moment. Yes. Well, it's it's funny when you say that and, and because when you think about uh, whether or not Marwin Gonzalez should be hitting up higher in the lineup, mm-hmm. think about... Uh, some of the things that, for example, Dusty Baker could have done 
by giving Howie Kendrick a start in place of Jason Worth, whether it was Adam Lynn right. or Wilmer Defoe at shortstop when Trey Turner was going through the 0 for 13 start with five strikeouts. I mean, these are all uh, managers are creatures of habit, too, yeah, and they, they have that tendency to go with guys that run them and track records. Yep. And, you know, maybe that turns out to hurt them. Who knows? All right. Joining us right now is somebody that I heard on uh, where, uh, what, what's Ed Randall's show. Uh, uh, where are they now? No. No, um, no. Ed Randall's show Ed Randall's in the morning. Show. What's it's, it called? Uh, it's called. Uh, David Kaplan, help me real quick. I was on with Rico Petroselli and Ed Randall. Right. Yeah, but the show has a. Remember when. Remember when. Thank you. There you go. Thank you. That was a great, great introduction to David Kaplan. David, you're a, uh, a a radio and TV guy out in Chicago who now is an author. Is that correct? That is correct. I broadcast. I host the Cubs pre and post game on TV. I host a radio show on ESPN 1000, and then uh, I wrote a book called The Plan, and it was the blueprint that Theo Epstein followed. And Tom Ricketts, the owner, followed from the day he bought it and then hired Theo a few years later to the Cubs winning the World Series and uh, making three straight appearances in the NLCS. So the the book, I'm just curious. I heard you on the show with Ed and Rico, and I said, boy, that, that guy would be a great guest to have on because the Cubs are in the playoffs. Tried to get you last week. So the Cubs have been eliminated this year. The title of the book is The Plan – Epstein, Madden, and the Audacious Blueprint for a Cubs Dynasty. Is a Cubs Dynasty now out the window, or is it just going back to a plan that gets them to establish longer dominance? Well, I mean, you know, in the old days, I think it used to be a dynasty was you won three or more in a row. I don't know if that's ever going to happen again, Uh, but I think from where the Cubs were, the lovable losers, the worst team in the sport for so long, to three straight NLCS appearances and a World Series for the first time in 108 years, and the window is open to win multiple titles again. They have some work to do this offseason. There's no question about that. But when you have a young core, and I'm talking exceptionally young with 25-year-old Chris Bryant, 28-year-old Anthony Rizzo, 23-year-old Javi Baez, 23-year-old Addison Russell, 25-year-old Wilson Contreras, uh, 28-year-old Kyle Hendricks. I mean, I can go on and on. There's a lot of good young players there. They have work, as I said, to do. Theo and Jed have to go out and improve the bullpen. They need another bat in their lineup because Schwarber has not, at this point, been the guy they thought he was going to be. And then they have to get another starter because they're probably going to lose Jack Gary out of the free agency. We're talking with David uh, Kaplan, his book, The Plan, Epstein, Madden, and the Audacious Blueprint for a Cubs Dynasty. It's available through Amazon. Is the easiest way for me to tell folks to get it. Craig Heist. Obviously, you know, when you put a team together like that, the one that won the World Series last year and, of course, made it uh, uh, to the NLCS this year, uh, it's a collective effort between the front office and, and the GM, the manager, but how much I'm interested, because I covered Joe Madden here in the American League when he was with the Rays, how much of a factor is he and has he has been, you know, in, in the success of this team over the last couple of years? Massive. And I think and I was critical of him last Saturday because I didn't like the fact that with the game on the line, he let John Lackey face uh, Justin Turner. 
and Joe took a lot of heat from the fan base and the media, locally and nationally, for that decision. But that's one decision out of thousands that he's made since he arrived. Look, the day Joe Madden rolled in here, the fact is he took over a team that was 73-89. and 89. The next year, they won 97 and went to the NLCS. The next year, they won 103 in the first World Series in 108 years. The next year, coming off the hangover where we haven't seen a team since the 09 Phillies win their division after winning a World Series, he was able to navigate a really tough season. Injuries and just that hangover of the World Series, which is real, and Theo admitted that again yesterday, uh, to be able to win the division, 92 games, knock out an exceptionally talented Washington team, and then they lost to a better team in the Dodgers. There's no question that the Dodgers are the best team in the National League, so they deserve every opportunity they have now to win the World Series. But Joe Madden is an exceptional manager. He's an exceptionally good guy to deal with. And that's just what the sport is, where we want to micromanage every decision. Why'd you bump there? Why'd you hit that guy in the second spot? Why'd you pitch to that guy? And why didn't you bring that reliever in? That's just the way the game is, and I think his shoulders are big enough and strong enough to deal with it. Two two questions about personnel decisions. One is a player they acquired and how it worked out. The other is one they let go and how that worked out. I know you when you have a plan in mind like Theo and Jed do, that paying Dexter Fowler that amount of money just wasn't in the plan. Uh, but could you talk more about what, he meant to the team in 16, and that was absent in 17. Then I'll ask you a little bit about Koji Uihara. Sure. In, in the Dexter decision, you know, they were not going to bring him back for the 16 season. They just weren't. Uh, they loved Dexter as a guy. Mm-hmm. They loved him as a player. They didn't think he was the greatest defensive center fielder, and so they felt, we can replace him. Well, as they started to look at their team, they went, we might undervalued this guy a little bit. And when Dexter said he was willing to take a one-year deal to establish a better market value and reject a multi-year deal from Baltimore, uh, the Cubs moved Chris Coughlin and got that salary off the books, which is, I think, roughly $5.5 million. And then Tom Ricketts said, go over the budget and sign this guy. So they signed him to a one-year deal with an option. Uh, so the opportunity was there that if it didn't, the market didn't materialize, that he would be able to come back and at least have not lost money on the deal. But he had a really good year. God bless him. He got $82.5 million from the St. Louis Cardinals. But I think if the Cubs could do it again, they would not give him that type of money. Look, you've got to remember, they've got to sign Chris Bryant, Wilson Contreras. If they keep Schwarber, do they want to go keep Arietta? It's going to cost a fortune. Addison Russell, Javi Baez, Albert Almora. They've got to get active in free agency to fix their beleaguered bullpen. They're going to lose John Lackey as well, so they're going to need another back end of the rotation starter. Look, they make a lot of money there. They do. And they're going to make more money and they get their TV deal done in the next year. But you still have, everyone has a budget. I don't care who you are. If you want to make big purchases, you can't buy everything. So that's why they did that decision and I don't think they would change it. Uh, Koji Uehara. Uh, I thought it was an absolutely brilliant move when they signed him. Is he done? Were there injuries? I know it just didn't work out the way it was supposed to in year one there. 
Yeah, for me, if I'm a team with championship aspirations, there is no chance of signing that guy. Uh, I didn't like the signing the day they made it simply because I don't think he has overwhelming stuff anymore. He did in his career. Mm-hmm. I don't think he has it anymore. He got injured a bunch this year, didn't uh, make our postseason roster, uh, dealt with those injuries, and he wants to keep playing from what I hear, and I think there's probably a role on some team for him, but there'll be no shot he's back here in Chicago. Was he in? The, was he there on a one-year deal? One-year deal for $6 million. All right. Got one big question for you, thinking ahead to the plan as it's now going to change. Number one, is there a chance for the plan two, a, a sequel to the plan? Well, I'll tell you what, as active as I think they're going to be this winter, I think they're going to be one of the most active teams in, in uh, free agency slash trade market. Yes, if they go out and somehow win the World Series next year <laughs> after making a ton of moves, you can bet I'm going to add to this book. No question about it. All right. My big question, though, is about a guy that plays currently for the Miami Marlins uh, who makes an awful lot of money for an awful long time. He's got a full no-trade clause. The, the word is he's he's not up for a rebuild in Miami. Could you see John Carlos Stanton as a fit in Chicago? Uh, I guess I could because they're looking to lengthen their lineup and add another big bat, so I could see that. But what are you giving up? Because they gave up most of their least top-name prospects to get the likes of Quintana and the likes of uh, Justin Wilson and Alex Avila this year, and over the years they've traded prospects away. So you, know, you had a, a one time the number one farm system. Now a lot of those guys are playing in Chicago now, like Chris Bryant and Addison Russell and Javi Baez and Contreras. They still have good players in their system. They don't have the marquee names in their system. So to go out and get Giancarlo, a you're going to have to add a ton of money to your mm-hmm. payroll. That's number one. I mean, a ton. And this is a team that has money coming off the books. They got $81 million coming off the books. So could they fit them in? No question. It just depends. I keep hearing from some people I trust down in Miami that they are looking in Miami. They want prospects, not guys making any kind of money. So and you know, the Cubs made one bad signing under Theo. Great guy, bad sign. That was Jason Hayward. Yeah. They've got him for, I think, Yep. Five more years at a lot of money. A lot of money. Well, and that's what my next question was going to be, is that in terms of the farm system, how well stocked is that to be able to make a deal like that? Yeah. Uh, to get a guy of that magnitude, I don't know if the Cubs have the bullets to do that. Now, if you put Javi Baez or Addison Russell or Schwarber, uh, we have a catcher who didn't make our postseason roster but played some for the Cubs this year, and I really like and Victor Caratini, he'll be an everyday catcher for somebody if he's not here. Uh, yes, you have some pieces to be able to make a deal, but you know, if you take every piece you've got and put them all into the Giancarlo Stanton deal, that thing better work because how are you adding two starters and probably three bullpen arms? Right. I can see Justin Bohr and Schwarber in the same line. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be something. Hey, hey I wanted to I, – I, Partly because of how awkward my introduction was, I didn't really go back to the beginning. Theo comes there in Chicago in 2011. When exactly did David Kaplan think of writing this book, and when did he seek out Theo's 
buy-in and participation in this? That's a great question. I, the, the day they hired Theo, I knew it was going to work. Did I know we'd win the World Series in 16? I did not at that point. And then in February of 2016, as I watched this plan evolve, I get a phone call from my agent. Right. I had the same agent that Joe Girardi has, a guy named Steve Mandel, who's the best. And he said, hey, these people called from Triumph Publishing. They want to know if you'll write a book on the 2016 Cubs. And I said, I have no interest. He said, what do you mean you have no interest? Why not? I said, because if they win, and they're going to, right. there's going to be a billion books, movies, documentaries, videos, you name it, on that team. So maybe I have better access, but there's still going to be so much competition, it'll get lost in the shuffle. So he gets the, the owner of the publishing company on, and he goes, you don't want to do this? I said, now you want to write a book about how they got here and how they built the whole thing? I'm in. You just want it on the 2016 team. I have no interest because you'll, you won't sell enough books to make it worth your while because every right. player is going to write one. Right. So he said, yeah, but if you write a book you want to call The Plan and they don't win, nobody buys it. And I, this guy's name is Mitch. I said, Mitch, this is February 2016. I promise you they're winning the World Series. And he said, really? After 108 years, you can <laughs> promise me this year they're going to win it. I said, I'm around this team every day. I'm just telling you. That left a bad taste in their mouth getting swept by the Mets in the 15 NLCS. I'm telling you, this is different. They are winning the World Series. When they were down down 3-1, were you still thinking the same thing? Well, it's funny because I I end up that day we make a deal. And I start writing that day at spring training. I interview a whole bunch of people, and everyone was amazing. Theo and Jed and Joe and Tom Ricketts and the players, they were great. And so now it's three games to one, and I run into somebody from the publishing company. They're like, hey, Sparky, I don't think your book's going to sell yourself. <laughs> and I cut a video that night that I put out on Twitter that got retweeted a thousand times. And I said, I was, I was in the shower at the gym, and I had soap all over my bald head. And I washed off the soap, and I looked at the camera, and I said, we're washing off the last four games. This thing's done. We're winning tonight. We're getting it done in Cleveland, and I promise you we're going to get it done and win. And guy from the publishing company called me because you're insane. You are absolutely insane. Well, when they won game five with Lester, yep. I got in the car to drive to Cleveland, and I went, there's no way they're beating Arietta in game six. Game seven's a crapshoot. Let's go. And when Rajay Davis hit that home run, I literally almost threw up. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an amazing, uh, audacious on your part as well. The plan, Epstein Madden and the audacious blueprint for Cubs dynasty. Um, being in Baltimore, I've, uh, something like this, the plan, takes a little bit of luck. Could you talk about how lucky the Cubs were? Because I guarantee you, while they may have thought they got the better part of that deal with Scott Feldman for Pedro Strope and a guy named Jake Arrieta, they couldn't have imagined what they were getting there. And can you figure out a way to get a blueprint for us back here? <laughs> well, so now who's your guys' team, favorite team? Baltimore? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're in Baltimore. Okay, so the Cubs make that deal. Theo said that the first meeting he had with Jed and Jason McLeod, they all went to dinner and he said, okay, every single trade we make from that point, at that point has to include young talent. Some's going to work out. Some is not. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, they made a trade to get Ian Stewart, the 
third baseman of the Rockies because he was at one point the 17th or 16th in the first round, was struggling, and they said, you know, let's take a shot. Yep. So they gave up a first-round pick the Cubs had by the name of Tyler Colvin. It didn't work out. Well, the Rockies said, if you're getting that guy, we, uh, we want a throw-in player. Cubs had this kid in the minor leagues and the infielder. They throw him in the deal. Well, that kid is D.J. LeMahieu, who won the padding title. So yeah. not every trade that Theo makes is perfect. Mm-hmm. But to get lucky, you make the deal with the Orioles to get Arietta. And Arietta told me, he said, look, I just clashed with the pitching coach out there. I'm a crossfire guy. They wouldn't let me throw crossfire. And Chris Bonzio, our pitching coach, was a crossfire pitcher. Yep. And he said, we're going to allow you to do that. Well, we saw the result of what happened. Doesn't mean the Orioles were wrong in their way they looked at things. It just, the Cubs gave him more freedom and it worked out. That's one. Two, you go to the draft and you're looking at three guys. Jonathan Gray, Chris Bryant, Mark Appel. Well, the Cubs didn't think that Chris Bryant was going to be there. And now they're sitting there at number two and the Astros take Mark Appel because he's a hometown kid. Well, can you imagine had the Houston Astros taken Chris Bryant? Everything looks different. Everything. It was the MVP last year in the National League for the Cubs, so they got lucky there. You know, they've made some other astute deals. Ryan Dempster, they yep. trade him to the Atlanta Braves for Randall Delgado. And at the last second, Dempster goes, I'm not going to Atlanta. Five and ten, man, he voids the trade. Well, with 15, 20 minutes left in the trade deadline, Dempster is literally sitting in the Cubs' offices going, I'm not going to Atlanta for you. I want to go to the Dodgers. And Ned Coletti, the GM at the time, says, I'm not interested. Thanks. Don't want him. And so at the last second, they trade him to Texas, and they go, ah, our reports are good on this kid. We'll take that Class A pitcher who throws 87 miles an hour. Well, Kyle Hendricks was a finalist for the Cy Young last year. You know, Dempster takes the trade to Atlanta. That's amazing. Yeah. Hendricks is never here. So you have to get lucky, and you have to be good. Theo's the best, along with Jed Hoyer, and they got lucky, too. Uh, where's Jake Arrieta go, and what kind of money does he get? I think he gets, uh, you know, he's been always saying, I want seven years, that's what aces get, right? and he's looking for 25 or $30 million a year. I don't think anyone gives him seven for 210. I don't. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. Scott Forrest does it time and time again to get these guys that money. But I do think he gets five years, Hundred one twenty five to one forty somewhere wow. like that, and I don't think the Cubs pay that. I think the Cubs would go four for a hundred. Yeah, I think they'd do that, but I don't think he would take it. Uh, last question I've got for you, David, and we really appreciate your coming on, and maybe we can get you back on when spring training two thousand eighteen begins. Um, you're a, you're a radio TV guy. You do the pre and post game shows there in Chicago. Had you ever? written a book before? Had you ever entertained the idea of writing a book? And how hard was this to accomplish? This? I had never written a book. I was an English major in college and I always felt I could write. But writing a book and thinking you can and feeling like you're a pretty decent writer, two totally different yeah. things. I'd written a column in a newspaper, but it was more a, a notes and tidbits column. Mm-hmm. So, uh, no, it's very, very difficult process. So I remember there was no blueprint. No one said, hey, here's this manual, just fill it out. No, it was, okay, you're writing a book, good. Sign this contract. We'll email it to you, and good luck. We'll see you in November. And there was 
that was it. No one checked in with me. No one from time to time said, hey, let's see how it's going. Nothing. It was right. me, myself, and I. And so I sat down in the couch that I'm sitting on right now. I had my laptop out. I had my recorder I kept with me every day. And in my car, I have Bluetooth, like most people. And so I'd leave a message for Billy Bean, mm-hmm. for example. Phone rings. I'm driving to work. Hey, this is Billy Bean returning your call. I don't know Billy Bean at all. Right. I tell him what I'm doing. He says, yeah, I'm, uh, can you do it right now? Sure. Turn the recorder on. Billy's on Bluetooth. And for the 35 minutes it takes me to get to work, I'm interviewing Billy Bean. All. Why did you trade Addison Russell? What do you think of Theo and Jed's plan? You met with Tom Ricketts when Theo got the job. Not to take the job, mm-hmm. but to give Tom some counsel. He gave me amazing stuff. Brian Cashman, amazing stuff. And then I sit down with Theo gave me at least five hours of time. Jed Hoyer, same deal. Tom Ricketts, Arietta, Lester, Joe Madden, you name it, I got it from these guys. And so that's how the book has so much cooperation from the coach. I, I can look at one thing, and Craig, n- neither Craig or I have the book. We haven't read the book, but I'm looking at the um, the um, the little publicity thing for it. It says the, uh, Anthony Rizzo wrote the foreword, but, and I can imagine how you got him. When you reached out to Commissioner Bud Selig to write the introduction to this book, what was your sales pitch to him? So I've gotten to know the commissioner fairly well. He's been you know, really good to me over the years. Mm-hmm. And so I called him. I remember I was on the air and I was talking about uh, something to do with, you know, I didn't like home field advantage going to the winner of the All-Star game. And I came in the next day to work. And my phone rang, and it was commissioner's assistant. And she said, hi, David, this is Mary from the commissioner's office. Do you have a second to talk to Bud? I'm like, absolutely. And the commissioner calls you, listen. Mm -hmm. And the commissioner said, I want to tell you how we came to that decision. So the next time you're on the air, you're informed about why we did it. It wasn't just some willy-nilly, hey, let's try that. Right. And we had this long talk, and then, he said, you know, I listen to your show all the time. And at that point, I was on at noon. Now I'm on at 9 a.m. I said, you do? In Milwaukee? He said, yes. I eat my lunch at my desk, and every day I listen to Cap and Company on ESPN 1000. And so we start talking sports, not just baseball. Right. He's the greatest guy in the world. Yep. And I said, but i got to ask you a favor. I'm writing this book. You were intimately involved in how the Ricketts got the mm-hmm. team, buying them, improving them. Would you write the introduction? He said, this is how quick he went. Yeah, what do you need to buy? <laughs> that was That's it. great. That's a great story. I'll never, ever be able to thank that guy enough. Hey, we really appreciate your coming on. The book is called The Plan, Epstein Madden and the Audacious Blueprint for Cubs Dynasty. They win the World Series in 16. They get to the NLCS in 17. Somehow I don't think the end of the story has been written yet. We really appreciate your being on with us. The book is available on Amazon, Kindle, hardcover, there, new and used at Amazon.com. David yeah, Kaplan. Yeah, also, yep. any of your listeners want a signed copy, just shoot me an email because I can send them one out. What's, the your, plan, e- what's your email the again? TheClanCubsBook at gmail.com. I'm sorry? TheClanCubsBook at gmail.com and then get a signed copy. Pl- the TheClanCubsBook book at gmail.com. At gmail.com. All right. David Kaplan, many thanks. Appreciate Thank it. you. All right. Bye bye. I covered. Guest. Yep. I covered that All Star game. Yep. In Milwaukee, that finished in the eight eight tie. Yep. Okay. 
And you would have thought in that press conference that Bud Selig had just lost his best, best friend. friend. Yeah, yeah, and, I can imagine. I can imagine. Just because of the amount of pitchers that both sides had to go through. Yeah, it was, a, it was an embarrassment. It was an embarrassment. It was yeah. an embarrassment. Uh, good show today. Ed Encini, uh, Todd Dibus, uh, Casey Willett, David Kaplan. A great show. We're going to take a timeout, and we'll come back and wrap it up and make our predictions for Game 7, including Bonzatufa's prediction. We'll be right back on the bat round after this. Join us for Jim McKay, Maryland Million Day on Saturday, October 21st at Laurel Park. Come with friends and family to Maryland's Day at the Races, a celebration of Maryland's horses and lots of fun for all ages. First race is at 12.15 with 11 exciting races. Don't miss the first annual hat contest, three categories and wonderful prizes. It will be fun for all at Laurel Park on Saturday, October 21st. For more information, visit MarylandMillion.com or MarylandRacing.com. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Sandra McKee profiles Dr. Leanne Curl, not only the first female team orthopedic in the NFL, but also a huge part of everything the Ravens do. Also, 10 questions with Ravens kicker Justin Tucker and more. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. The park sell- Early Phase Unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study. Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify, you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call 1-877-617-8839. Call now. Many people know about Goodwill through donating clothes and furniture. Did you know that Goodwill also accepts vehicle donations? Goodwill accepts vehicles in running or non-running condition. When you donate a vehicle, you can steer clear of all of the headaches associated with trying to sell a car yourself. It's fast, simple, and reliable, and you also receive a tax deduction. When you donate to Goodwill, know that your donation is being used to help someone find a job. Last year, we provided job training services to people in need of assistance because of physical, mental, or other social barriers and placed over 3,000 into jobs. To donate your vehicle to Goodwill, visit givethegoodwill.org or call 866-492-2770. That's givethegoodwill.org, 866-492-2770. Pressbox's Project Game Day is back at halftime of every game. Glenn Clark goes live on Pressbox's Facebook page to chat about how the Ravens have performed thus far. And after the game... Glenn is joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, to break down all aspects of what went right or wrong for Baltimore. Watch live at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Project Game Day is presented by ParXL and also brought to you by the U.S. Army. We'll see you for Project Game Day. Great news! Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square has a brand new catering delivery truck. Order your next office party platter from Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square and Steve and his crew will bring your chicken piping hot in the all-new Chick-fil-A delivery van. You'll salivate when you see it pull up. Office party, birthday celebration, family gathering, Chick-fil-A catering ensures fast, scrumptious, fresh food with everything you need included. Order using your Chick-fil-A app or call Steve right now and tell him what you need when and for how many. They can feed hundreds. Remember, 
remember, Chick-fil-A now offers breakfast, too, so they can cater your morning meeting, including hot, rich coffee. And it all comes in the brand-new Chick-fil-A delivery van. That's Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard, or give them a call, 410-931-0031. Did he just say we're back and then I go false cue? <laughs> false cue. <laughs> it's like fake news. Now he doesn't get to do his prediction. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what a loss! <laughs> yeah. All right, Bouncer Tufa, Craig Heist, and yours truly, Stan the Fan, wrapping up the bat around. It's a couple of minutes past our usual sign-off time, but not too not too late for us to get our game seven predictions in. Bonza, you go first. This is a tough one to me. I think the Astros pull it off, but it's going to be close. I say 4-3 Astros. I say 7-4 Astros. I'll go with the same amount of runs as last night. I think the Astros' bats are back. You think they're back? I think they're back, and in that place, home field, I think it's a tough place to win. I'm I'm just uh, – I hear what both of you are saying. I'm thinking the matchup of the experience of Sabathia to start – versus the inexperience of Morton to start pays off and inures to the Yankees' benefit. I know Hinch won't let the game get out of hand. I mean, it's not like he's going to leave Morton in for 5 nothing. I think the Yankees get it done and win a 5-4 uh, game tonight in Houston. Who's going deep five, tonight? Four. Or who will have the big hit, you think? I'll tell you one thing. I, I don't know what his lifetime numbers are against uh, Carl Morton, uh, Charlie Morton, but I just have a feeling he may start Matt Holiday tonight. In DH? Possible. I, I just think it's. Well, I, I mean, last night they went with Gaddis over Beltran. Yeah. You know, I just think the Yankees. And I'm sure you'll see that tonight with Sabathi on the mound. You think so? Gaddis or so. DH? Yeah. yeah. Okay. We'll see. It uh, should be entertaining. Uh, you got both of them picking the Houston Astros. I'm picking the Yankees. Either way, I like the Dodgers to get through to, to win the World Series. You know how Glenn Clark always ends this program by saying Duke sucks? Yeah. Well, we're ending this show today by saying Penn State sucks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. One thing that didn't suck was the bat around today. We hope you'll give it a listen uh, on the archives at Facebook. Uh, Facebookonline.com slash Pressbox, Facebook.com <laughs> slash Pressbox Sports, or you can listen to it at PressboxOnline.radio. PressboxOnline.com slash radio. Okay, we're done. <laughs> we most certainly are. We'll be back uh, next Saturday with another edition of the Battle Round. Ken Zalis, Sarita Hubbard tomorrow with uh, Fantasy and Reality Football Show 10 to 12, and Glenn and Kyle do it all week from 10 to 12.